Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Today's episode of Working is brought to you by Hiscox Small Business Insurance. Get customized insurance for your business right now. Go to Hiscox.com to learn more and to get a free quote. Welcome to Working, Slate's podcast about what people do all day. I'm Rachel Gross, a writer for Slate who covers science and food. Being a successful jewelry maker takes more than just a flair for welding and soldering. For today's episode, we're talking with jewelry maker Rachel Pfeffer, who makes necklaces that go viral. And in a Slate Plus Extra, Rachel talks about coming from a family of jewelry makers and how she and her father settle their design differences. So what's your name and what do you do? My name is Rachel Pfeffer and I'm a jewelry designer and a business owner. Where are we? We're on the Brooklyn Arts Walk in Brookland, Washington, D.C., which is near Catholic University by the metro. We're standing sort of in between the retail half of my studio and the making part of my studio, the studio part of my studio. And are these designs you've already commissioned or ones that anyone can buy? These are all for sale. Uh, I kind of make things to order when they sell my website and then I also am constantly trying to keep up an inventory for the store. Can you tell us a little bit about the earrings you're wearing and how you made them? They are brass chamses, which Mm is a a hand with an eye in it that is supposed to ward off the evil eye. That's right, the so upside-down would... hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a lot of different cultures, right? Yeah. Um, I guess it's also a Hamesh, I think, but I'm known them as Hamses. Cool. Yeah. So those are new. And I'm also wearing another new piece that I have to photograph, which is a heart I carved out of wax also. It's sort of a scratchy texture to it that I put on top of a gold-filled band and oxidized the heart to a black finish. That's great. Yeah. That's your ring. Yeah, so that's the ring I'm wearing. What's the first thing you do when you get in the door? I turn on all the lights. There are lots of light switches around. Um, so I'll hunt those down to illuminate the space. Um, then I'll take out my computer. I'll go online and see what orders I should start working on. So you're going on Etsy? I'll go on Etsy to see my orders. I also sell on my own website, so I'll have to go on that and see what I sold. And then I kind of see what I have made already that I can pack up easily or what I have to put together, what I have to make completely from scratch. And then I slowly start compiling all the orders together. Right. So once you figure out what projects you have for the day, 
What's your next step? Um, I figure out what music I want to listen to. Once I figure that out and I have music going, I will go to the workbench and start soldering whatever needs to be soldered first. So the day's kind of comprised of either putting together orders that I have to make um, or making new things. So I kind of break up the day by making a new ring or using a new stone, figuring out new designs. If I'm like feeling great in my soldering skills, I'll just kind of go for a long time. Um, but I like to I usually get distracted pretty easily and realize I have to email someone or remember I have to order some kind of jump ring or order some kind of chain and then I go to the computer and then I have to get coffee and then I get lunch and then I sit for longer and then I'll go back and then I'll finish. So it sounds like you have a workflow going where you're checking your orders, you're checking your emails and mm -hmm. you're spending part of the day packaging after you finish your projects. Yeah, there's a lot of packing, mm -hmm. a lot of printing shipping labels and matching up orders to the shipping labels. If I'm selling a lot of one thing, I usually just kind of make what I need for that day. But mm. when I'm feeling ambitious, I'll make extras, anticipating that they'll sell. It's very optimistic. Usually they do, <laughs> eventually. So I'm feeling good that I made a bunch of extra hearts with bikes yesterday, which are super shiny from the tumbler. That's yeah. the sound of them going on the table. So you have five <laughs> pendants that are silver bikes with gold hearts in the wheels. Yes. And these are ones you're going to sell? Yeah. So I'm having a shopping party the day before Valentine's Day in the studio, so I'll have to make sure everything's stocked here for customers. And then I'm also making sure I have enough for orders. So there's constantly kind of two sides of my inventory brain churning. And also I constantly want to be adding designs to my website to keep it new and exciting. So I'll have to be putting together new things during all that. And then I have to photograph the pieces, which is another big part. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of sides to this because mm -hmm. during the day you're doing like the physical stuff, you're mm -hmm. soldering and making jewelry, mm -hmm. you're online taking orders, yeah. you're packaging, packaging, thinking of your website, keeping it updated, and then events like a party before. Yeah, so I it. need to figure out how to advertise it and do some more social media boosting. When I'm home, I usually do most of my heavy duty photo editing and computer stuff in front of the television. <laughs> Is it daily that you're spending doing photo editing, social media? Yeah. Stuff besides making jewelry? Yeah, I'm constantly updating to Instagram and posting things on Facebook. I like taking pictures at specific times of the day in a certain windowsill in my house on a piece of watercolor paper because that makes good lighting. So usually in the morning when it's cloudy, it's okay. I'm usually around like 5 when I go home. So I'm kind of always rushing to get the light. That's good. Trying to get the light. Mm -hmm. Chasing the light. So you go home around 5? Usually. Mm -hmm. I kinda, it's, my whole day kind of revolves around the male lady when she comes. I could walk to the post office, which is probably like a three-minute walk, maybe five-minute walk. But usually around four, it varies. It's a problem. Um, my male lady will come, and I hear her cart on the walk, and I run outside with boxes. So now whenever I hear someone with a suitcase, I think it's the male person, my, my male lady. And do you kind of set yeah. your own schedule every day? Yeah. I, kinda, I, I help myself. I help. I try to keep to a schedule by posting on Instagram or Twitter, being like, I'll be here for these hours today. And then I'm kind of married to that. So you do like office hours kind of? I, yeah, I try. And then I, I try to make it obvious that I'm open by appointment if people want to come in. But a lot of it just happens. I'm, I just try to be here as much as I can. Mm -hmm. Do you get a lot of people coming in throughout the day? Yeah, there's a, there's a good um, foot traffic. In the summer, it's busier. On the weekends, it's busier. So while you're making a project, you might have a customer that comes that you, that yeah. you talk to. Yeah, mm -hmm. so I'll shut down my loud machines and soldering iron, solder torch and help them out. 
how do you mostly make money? Uh, it's split between my jewelry company and another company I run with my brother called Stitchtogram. Mm, can you explain mm -hmm. Stitchtogram? My other company, Stitchtogram, which is uh, customized photo stone products, like bags. We make um, zipper pouches and tote bags. All the pouches are made in D.C. The pillows are made in um, different places, <laughs> and, um, either California or North Carolina. And... Um, and we handle all the customer service still and all the web aspects of it. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So what is it like? Like you, you make money on an order by order basis, mm -hmm. I imagine. And so how do you get enough orders in a month that you know you're going to be good? Um, we just hope that people still come to the websites. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of trying to get notice on blogs and on different websites. And what do you do to promote yourself? How much time do you spend doing social media promotion? Always. I'm always seeing when I should Instagram something and taking pictures and thinking, will this be good? Will people like this? Should I delete this? Did not enough people like this? Um, but I started on Etsy in the beginning in 2007, so I feel like that's really helped me establish a presence there. Mm. What's the biggest expense for you monthly? Probably rent now, mm -hmm. which is a new addition. Right. So you moved into the space a few months ago? Yeah, in the end of the summer in August. Um, and it's great because I can have clients come in and sit down and it's more professional and legit than meeting them at the bar in the corner and talking about their wedding band designs, which is what I've been doing up until now. So I have like a desk and chairs and I could offer them a cookie or something, but I haven't yet, but I want to someday. Did you have to make um, some calculations to see if it was worth it for you to pay that much of rent every month? Yeah, I figured, I I've right away figured out what I would need to sell or what kind of increase I would have to have in my business to mm -hmm. make it viable. So yeah. how much extra, how much more do you have to sell? Did you have to raise your prices? I didn't raise my prices. I kind of anticipated correctly that foot traffic alone would be enough to make the difference in rent that I'm paying. Nice. So, yeah. So you're now making about the same. Yeah, and I haven't noticed that I'm not, you know, in trouble or anything. So that's good. Cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. So how about starting this up? Did you have to have a certain amount of, like, money up front? Uh, what were the challenges? Um, just... Getting well-known enough online, really, because I started right when Etsy got big, or in the beginning of Etsy, so that was lucky. Kind of anticipating what the trends were going to be and making something that I thought would be great. And I could like, I knew when I, whenever I made something that I would go like viral online, which was kind of, in the beginning, my goal. I, can, I love the feeling when I'm making something. I know it's going to be like a, a hit. Have you had one recently? Um, no, <laughs> the honeycombs were pretty good, um, but those I, those were one of my first designs, and they kind of always remain one of my most popular ones. Yeah, so the honeycomb design, that's like, um, I see the honeycomb necklaces with a little golden bee on mm -hmm. them. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It's your signature, kind of? Yeah, and when I was working at the Science Museum, and I had started dabbling more in jewelry, I would talk to my boss about it. They were all very supportive, and she suggested I do a honeycomb design because there was a hive on the roof. Um that people could go look at and I was like yeah that's a good idea people like honey so I made a hexagonal design and it's been pretty much the same ever since that which was in 2009 um but people have such nice stories about honeycombs whenever I sell them at craft fairs people are always every single time someone most people have very strong connections in one way or another to honey and uh, I hear that a certain queen mm. bee might have worn your design once 
Instagram yes, told me this. Instagram. Um, Tell me about that. Two summers ago, I was sitting at home alone, and a customer in the Netherlands tagged me in an Instagram picture that Beyonce had posted where she was wearing two honeycomb necklaces, and one resembled mine. Did it just resemble a necklace made by you? I mean, it, it, it was the exact design of my necklace. <laughs> they became very popular after yes. that. Um, I sold a lot. It was really fun. It was very exciting to tell people. And still today, people see it and they're like, oh, it's a Beyonce necklace. And when I'm searching online, I see people you know, linking to me when people are asking where that necklace is from. It seems like definitely you've had a few moments of internet fame. Mm-hmm. Can you show I us your business. Instagram for sure. your design? So I, I try to mix it up with personal pictures and lifestyle shots and process shots. So you do all the photography yourself? Yeah, or or my friend Emily is working with me. I'll have her take pictures so she has access to my account also. You have quite a lot of followers, almost a thousand. Almost a thousand. So yeah, it's kind of a mix of, you know, what I'm doing if I'm somewhere cool, but I probably oversaturate my feed with jewelry. I post a lot. But as far as going viral is concerned, on Pinterest, lots of times something someone will pin something. That's a good way to get pieces seen by a lot of people. Uh, and I heard there was video of you on the internet singing about jewelry. I went through a phase where I figured every business I had required a music video and a song. time on my hands when I was working from home. I, I, don't, I couldn't make this now if I had to. I was dancing and hammering, and now I somehow made a slideshow of jewelry smoothly going by. And I remember coming up with a song when I was in the shower one day, thinking, well, this is what I'm going to do for this week. <laughs> That's when I learned how to use iMovie. <laughs> so now you've got a storefront. Mm-hmm. You've been expanding, it sounds like. You've got your social media presence is pretty covered. So what's next for you for this business? I would like to have more of a wholesale presence in the world. What would that entail? It means that you have to have more, usually means that you have to more have a, a line sort of. So something that is a cohesive collection. And I don't really do that. I more just make things that I think look cool. So I'll have lots of one of a kind rings or pieces that don't really go together and that's always a challenge for me is figuring out what kind of grouping of pieces would go well someplace do you want to have a line or be featured in more boutiques and like stores around town yeah we're just not necessarily around town because now that I have this space I can tell people to come here but I it's always fun having I don't know it's kind of like a, a thrill and a goal to have them in as many stores everywhere as possible do you have like business goals? Like, are you like, oh, we're kind of stagnating this year. I've done a lot of bicycles. Like, do you have hopes for like next year? Yeah. I mean, I, not really. I don't have like a concrete goal in mind other than selling as much as I can mm-hmm. and making as much as I can. Um, but at some point you have to kind of figure out when you want to go to the next level of having someone else manufacture your pieces or have help making the pieces. So do you have any advice that you'd give to burgeoning jewelry makers who aren't sure that they can make it and haven't looked at the financial side of things as much? I would say take some classes. Not that I necessarily did that, but see what aspect of jewelry making you like the most and enjoy the most. 
and make that your niche sort of and then just open a shop online because that's an easy way of not in you know you don't have to invest that much to open an etsy or to open a big cartel or squarespace shop how does it feel to be in many different states and have your designs known by it's, communities it's fun and with instagram now it's extra fun because uh, i just sold a bunch to a few i got a few orders in recently and and I kind of check Instagram and see who's tagging me. And I'll see, you know, Storm Wyoming will mention my necklace and t- post a picture of it. Just advertising their Valentine's Day products. And then it's me there, which is fun. And the best is seeing people in the wild wearing my pieces. And they don't know who I am. A few times I've seen someone at a party or at anywhere in a coffee shop. And I freak out and say, I made your necklace. And then they say, what? I say, I made it. And then that's all. <laughs> it takes courage to build a small business. Don't risk what you've worked so hard for. Protect your small business today with Hiscox. Hiscox offers a new way to buy small business insurance. They tailor their small business insurance coverage to fit your needs, allowing you to buy only what you need. Policies start from $22.50 per month. Plus, it's easy. You can order online or over the phone from a licensed advisor in minutes. If you're like Rachel Pfeffer, an artist who makes and sells your work, Hiscox will make sure you're protected. Don't wait to purchase coverage for your small business. Visit Hiscox today to learn more about their services and to get a free quote. That's H-I-S-C-O-X dot com. Can you take us through the life of one of your projects? Sure. So today somebody ordered a ring with a heart-shaped turquoise cabochon. Cabochon is a stone that has been cut to be smooth around on top with a flat bottom. Mm. Um, I have a few that I bought from a gem show, and I'm going through my tall chest of drawers, which I have no idea where anything is in any of them. This is all I do also all day long. I open up every single drawer in this 12-drawer piece of furniture. I know I had the stone somewhere. Um, I also have to find a bezel, which I had made, which I made for the stone specifically, which is the little house it sits in, basically. What's um, the bezel? So a bezel is opening up a tiny little baggie full of little castings. Um, so this is something that I made specifically for these stones. It's sort of a silver heart box type thing that the stone will go in. Hmm. Okay. Ideally, the stone will fit in this hole. Cut off the sprue, which I should have done before. What's the sprue? The sprue is the little nubbin that's left over from a casting. File it away. Just smooth it out. The big file. Like a giant nail file. Giant nail file. And my nails are all destroyed and cut up from that. And then for this ring, it's on a heavy gold-filled band. So I take the wire, I find it in my pile of rubble. And then I'll bend it to the size I need it to be around the mandrel, which is in the vise at the end of the workbench. What is a mandrel? Um, it is a cone-shaped pipe <laughs> that has numbers all the way up that um, stands in for your finger yeah so I, I you can hammer against it and figure out what size pieces are and use it as a round surface because i guess you wouldn't want to hammer your finger you want to hammer the finger yeah i don't want to do that so this is too thick so then i would cut the wire that i would need hammer it into the circle and then i would then I would solder it. First I flux it. Can you describe is, that? Um, it's 
kind of a heat shield to prevent fire scale, which is um, a coating that a piece will get after you solder it. You're going to light it on fire? So I'll light it on fire. Well, I, I, control, I light it on fire in a controlled way. Have you ever lit your hair on fire? I've never lit my hair on fire. In the beginning, when I was I in the very beginning when I started making jewelry, I used a soldering iron before I knew anything about how to do anything. And I had one outlet strip in our apartment, and I plugged it, I turned it on, and I forgot that my soldering iron was plugged in. And all day long, I kept smelling this like delicious fire. And I thought someone was barbecuing outside or burning leaf piles in Boston, which doesn't make any sense. And then finally, I walked to the corner of the living room, and it was so hot, and the soldering iron was on inside of a workbench for hours and hours, and everything was singed. Oh my! So gosh. that was a close call. Um, I'm very careful now about what I do with my fire. But no, I haven't had anything go up in flames, but I do have a tiny little fire extinguisher just in case. So I'm going to turn on my fume sucker, which is loud. Is it too loud? Okay. Um, it's just a big box that takes out all the bad stuff that I won't want to breathe, even though nothing's too bad to breathe anyway. And then I'll put on my oxygen and I'll turn on my propane and then I'll take my torch and I light it on my clicky thing. Oh, you got a flame. Got a flame going. And I'll hold so serious. the band and tweezers on top of the bezel. Then I need a solder. Now I'm heating all around it equally so nothing melts before anything else should melt. I'm waiting to see the solder run in a nice smooth joint between the band and the bezel. Usually it's a relaxing experience, but Usually it's not also. <laughs> Things can go wrong pretty quickly. Like oh. now it's not running like I want to, so I'll add a little more solder, but you don't want to add too much solder. And um, yeah, that's good. So once it runs smoothly like that, wait for it to solidify. Then I pick it up. It's still very hot. I'll see if it's centered, which it is. And then turn this off. Dipped it in water. Ooh, to cool it nice. off, a little squelch. And then I'll put it in my citric acid to pickle it. What do you mean to pickle it? Um, so you put in the pickle to take off the fire scale and the, and the flux, which you put on when you solder it. So it strips off the parts you don't want. Yeah, and it just cleans it up. So then I'd leave it in that for a while. And then when I'm finished with it, I would rinse it off again. I'm putting it in the water, cleaning it off with paper towel that's anywhere. Then I would take it back to the mandrel and round it out. Make sure that it is the right size it has to be. So I think that should be about a six. I'm hammering it with my tiny little hammer. It's called peening when you give it a nice little dappled texture. So this is the ball peen of a hammer. So if I want it to be perfectly peened, I'd use the round side. And then, once it's the right size, I would take it over to the polishing box, way over here in the other corner. And I put on that fan that sucks some dust in. Holding my flex shaft tool and putting on a different polishing wheel that will take away some of the buildup. Mm. And then put my hands inside the car wash. Strips. And then I use the flex shaft that is powered by a pedal on the floor 
So it's the sound of polishing? That's the sound of polishing. And then for this particular ring, the bezel around the turquoise stone is blackened and the band is shiny gold. So I would put together a mixture of liver of sulfur and drop that in in my sink. Let it stew in there for a while until the bezel got good and black. And then I bring it back here and polish off the band to be gold again. So you're purposely blackening the part around the jewel? Yeah. Using sulfur? Using something called liver of sulfur, which I don't know a lot about other than it smells like eggs. Is it kind of a rustic look that you're going for? <laughs> yeah, I like whenever I'm always drawn to the black and gold combination. Uh, I, I can't really not make jewelry that doesn't have oxide silver and gold in it anymore. After I polish it, I would I put all my pieces in this um, drum, small plastic drum full of stainless steel shot in different little shapes, and then I put I put some water in it. I put some detergent in, and then I would close it up. But I think I need a new one because it usually leaks. And then I put it back on a little shelf underneath my polishing box because the core doesn't fit anywhere else. And I take out this plug, and I put in this plug, and I turn the old power strip back on. And then sometimes it doesn't turn, so I have to prop it up on another thing. And then I hope that it goes. And this is also to polish it. This helps it get a nice smooth finish. And then I let this go for however long I can stand hearing the noise. Usually this is when I go out and get lunch because it drives me crazy sometimes. Um, yeah, it's a little like nails on a chalkboard there. It just goes on for a long time and I've grown to despise it. And then uh, I take it out, I pour it through a strainer. Just dumped it into the sink on top of the strainer. And then I... Rinse it under the sink to clean off. It's like panning for gold. Yeah, and then I dig. And when there are really tiny pieces, I got to look harder. And I just hope that I don't drop anything on the sink, which happens a lot. And then the worst part is pouring it back into the plastic drum. And then I take it over back to the workbench in the middle of the studio. I take my turquoise. I fit it into the bezel on the top of the ring. And then I hammer it and use a bezel pusher, which is a little metal handle with a round metal T-shape at the end. And I would put in my bench pin, my ring clamp, and I close it. And then I go around pushing the bezel against the stone to hold it in. Mm. Uh, by then, the ring's all polished up and looking like it will look when it's being worn by the recipient. And then ta-da <laughs> ring? Ta-da ring. I put it in a box, and then I wrap it prettily with tape and my label. I put that box in another box, wrapped in tissue, and I put the label on it, and I chase down the mail lady. That's the story of the ring. <laughs> Each of your designs is handmade individually. Yeah, so I'll either put it together totally from scratch, or they're castings, and I have to finish them by hand, and I add things to them. So nothing's completely finished when it enters the studio at all. Is it ever finished? No. Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. I'm Rachel Gross. We'd love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. You can email us at working at slate.com, and you can listen to all five seasons at slate.com slash working. This episode was produced by Mickey Capper. Our executive producer is Steve Lichtai, and the chief content officer of the Panoply Network is Andy Bowers.